Hi, this is Lea, your journalist covering EU affairs from Brussels. I'm back with a new episode of Voices from Brussels, and I will look at the impact of EU sanctions against Russia. In Brussels, the so-called EU bubble has been busy debating a ninth package of sanctions. Eight sanction packages have already been imposed by the EU since February. So it's a perfect time for me to stop for a moment and take a look at what these measures have actually achieved, how they affect Russia and how they can change the course of things. We are now nine months after the start of the war in Ukraine. The strategic city of Kherson in the south of the country has been liberated by the Ukrainian army on November the 11th. But there are still challenges ahead before defeating Russia. The American Institute for the Study of War warned about potential strong Russian offensives in the Donetsk region over the next few weeks. It is crucial to continue to help Ukraine take advantage of favorable conditions, the Institute says. Now, coming to our main question, what role did the EU sanctions play in these developments? Here is the first assessment we can make. The eight packages of so-called restrictive measures imposed by the EU have not played a major role in restraining Russia's war effort. The sanctions include mainly asset freezes and travel restrictions for certain individuals and entities, financial sanctions, export and import bans, the banning of certain propaganda outlets, and the closure of EU airspace to Russian aircraft. I talked to a few people and read some reports on the sanctions to better understand their impact. I went to the European Parliament in Brussels, where I discovered a new part of the building, where the European Conservatives and Reformists group have their offices. After having passed through too many corridors that all look alike, I met with Polish MEP Witold Wasikowski. Sitting in his office, he told me that the EU measures were affecting the daily lives of Russian citizens rather than those responsible for the war. We, are, we adopted eight packages and there is a debate right now about a nine package. That means that eight packages didn't hit Russian military machine enough uh, to stop the war. Uh, the military action on the front is slowing down but not because of the impact of uh, sanctions, but because of a Ukrainian counter-offensive. So Vashikovsky's harsh assessment is not shared by everyone. Sanctions do affect the military effort, according to EU's High Representative for Foreign Affairs, Joseph Borrell, the EU's chief diplomat. He chaired a meeting of foreign affairs ministers in Brussels on November the 14th, where Russian war of aggression was much discussed. At the press conference following the meeting, he stressed that he did not expect that sanctions would be enough to end the aggression. But it's clear that uh, our sanctions are weakening the Russian economy. They weaken the Russians' capacity to buy and update technology. We never expected the sanctions were going to finish the war, but certainly they are weakening the capacity of the Russian army to renew its material especially in front of the enormous losses that Russia is suffering in the battlefield. It's weakened its capacity to lead a war based on terror against Ukrainian people. There is another thing to bear in mind besides the concrete impact of the sanctions. The EU's decision to impose these restrictive measures was, first and foremost, a signal and a punishment for Russian President Vladimir Putin. 
it was simply not possible to pursue diplomatic and economic relationships as if nothing had happened, especially in economic terms. It would have been tantamount to contributing to the financing of the state and its war, according to Sylvie Matelli. She produced a series of briefings on the sanctions in September. She is a French economist and deputy director of the Institute for International and Strategic Affairs, or IRIS. Still, the sanctions should contribute to hamper Russia's war effort, and this is less successful than expected. The latest estimate from the International Monetary Fund shows a 3.4% contraction in Russian GDP in September. This figure is lower than originally expected, and there are clear reasons for this. Economist Sylvie Matelli answered my questions remotely from Paris, and she explained how Putin has managed to mitigate the consequences on its economy. Vladimir Putin has partially compensated the effect of inflation on his population by having a really expensive fiscal policy to limit the impact of sanctions on the population. So it actually worked. Today, it is holding up. And we knew since the beginning of the war that Putin had largely prepared for this war and for these sanctions already since 2014. In addition, he has been accumulating export revenues linked to the increase in oil and gas prices. State revenues, about a third of the Russian state budget, comes from oil and gas export revenues. And these rising oil and gas prices are the main backlash to the EU's anti-war stance. Its consumers suffered an inflation rate of almost 11% in September on average, and this figure is expected to be higher in October, according to the European Statistical Office. Meanwhile, Russian inflation rate in October was about 13%, and the country is currently enjoying a large balance of payment surplus due to high exports and low imports. It's precisely thanks to these soaring oil and gas prices that Russia increased its exports to the EU by 61% in the period January to August 2022, compared to the same period last year. Because if you look at the import volume of these two products, which historically amount for the bulk of EU imports from Russia, they have both decreased in the first half of 2022. Vladimir Putin has managed to mitigate the impact of sanctions, but for how long? Several observers, including Sylvie Matelli, indicate that the Russian economy will soon suffer heavy losses. These sanctions are isolating Russia for a long time, not from world markets, but from Western markets, which are still important. And Russia is settling permanently into weak, very weak, even negative growth. So we realize that in the medium and long term, the sanctions will take over from the impact of raw materials, and that this will weigh on Russia. The French economist's analysis is shared by Brussels-based think tank Bruegel, which published in October a report on the impact of sanctions. An additional challenge to Russia's economy is the voluntary withdrawal of foreign companies from Russia. Hundreds of big firms such as McDonald's, Nike or Renault have decided to leave Russia over the war in Ukraine in the past month. As Bruegel notes, passenger car production has already been hit hard by the withdrawal of foreign car manufacturers and by export restrictions. The air transportation sector was also severely injured. The situation for producers will likely worsen in the next month, Sylvie Matelli tells me. 
There is very little information on this subject, but we can imagine that there are companies in Russia that are directly affected by these sanctions, that they have perhaps not yet made redundancies, but that they will be obliged to make redundancies because they are on the verge of bankruptcy, because they can no longer produce, they no longer have the necessary components to produce. And you can also imagine that we have a population that has difficulty in obtaining supplies because there are fewer imports, and it is hard to imagine the Russian economy having compensated so quickly for the impact of these sanctions. So the sanctions will hit hard at some point, but for now the big question is whether to decouple from Russia energy imports. This is the most complex issue and at the same time the most impactful as the state receives significant funding through oil and gas exports. EU members have managed to agree on a partial oil embargo from 2023 with a transition period to allow Hungary, for instance, to continue importing Russian oil via pipelines. On gas, discussions are still ongoing, as member states are divided on how to completely cut imports from Russia. What they do agree upon is the need to diversify import sources and reduce gas consumption. As a first step, they decided to reduce gas demand in the EU by 15% in autumn and winter. But members of the European Parliament are asking for more. In October, they adopted a resolution, which is a non-binding text, that was calling for an immediate embargo on all fossil fuels, uranium, diamonds and many other products. But getting a majority in the European Parliament is nothing compared to reaching unanimity between the 27 member states, stresses German MEP Viola von Gramont-Tobadel. This time, I went to the other side of the European Parliament building in the Greens Corner to meet the German MEP. It is one thing to have a resolution in the European Parliament, the other thing to have a unanimity uh, in the Council. And of course, it did not work that easy. So we got the uh, exemption for Hungary, I think partly for Czechia. We get a, um, a transition phase and, and so on, which is much longer than actually it would be, I think, uh, good for... Um, for the European Union as such, but well, this is the reality, unfortunately, and we see more and more that um, Hungary, for example, works as a as a, as a proxy uh, very much when it comes to economical interest here. At the foreign ministers' meeting on November the 14th, some member states discussed a ninth package of sanctions. A few weeks before that, the Baltic countries and Poland have submitted proposals to further sanction Russia. Lithuanian minister Gabrielius Landsbergis reiterated this demand in front of the press in Brussels at a doorstep before meeting his counterparts. It needs to be reminded uh, as well, among other things, uh, that we're still waiting for the ninth package uh, of sanctions. And there are those who are uh, saying that maybe there's nothing else to, to sanction, that everything that Europe was able to sanction is already on the list. So I would like to dispel uh, this, this information. Lithuania has uh, offered a number of listings already several weeks ago, uh, and we're still waiting for the response from the um, institutions in, in Europe that they would uh, react uh, and, and go, go forward with the ninth, ninth package. Uh, the debate on the ninth uh, package is thus open. And for Josep Borrell, one thing is sure. The EU is ready to enforce its sanctions against Russia, but also against third countries getting involved, namely Belarus. This is it for this episode. I hope you learned as many things as I personally did by preparing it. Stay tuned for more podcast episodes on EU foreign affairs and other European politics topics to come. 
À bientôt.